Right. Good morning. Happy Twixmas, everyone. <laughs> Twixmas. Good. Excellent. It's the time between Christmas and New Year. I really like it when uh, you can sit back and relax and look back on the year, on the events that have happened, um, the new entertainment, new films, books, music that's come out, and also look back on the sermon series for this year. Now, it's good to hear sermons every week, but my fear is that we so quickly forget them and what they've taught us, and it's good to go back and look at them again. So if you're the church in the church family here today, you are on revision and review. If you're a visitor, some of the books we've looked at this year, you may have looked at as well. See if they're up there. And to you, it can also be a time to revise and review the books that you've studied before. If any of these books are new to you, though, hopefully this will act as a trailer and entice you and encourage you to look at the books on your own or in your own uh, families. So, let's get on with the year. When I read a book and finish it, I normally put a tick inside the cover and the date. So which of these books can we put a tick in and date? Let's find out. So, the first period of the year, January to April, we looked at one book. What is that book? Exodus. You know, we actually started this um, in 2022. Sometimes when I do this, people are convinced we did the book this year, but we did it last year. Yes, we did this last year, but it's such a big book that we continued on and did it into the new year and finished in April. Now, the series was very helpfully divided into two halves, Freedom from Slavery, which we did mainly in 2022, and then Freedom to Worship that we did in 2023. Now, a large part of the second half of Exodus is about the building of God's tabernacle, his tent, and it tells us a lot about the structure and its furnishing. And um, Bart posed the question, can God dwell with humankind? And to help us with that, we went on a tabernacle tour. Do you remember the tabernacle tour? Where we actually, he actually laid out the tabernacle in effect in this room to scale and went through all the things that were in the tabernacle and what they meant. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. The tabernacle meant to teach the Jews a lot about God and his relationship with them, but it also teaches things to us as Christians. We no longer have the tabernacle or use the tabernacle, but it can also teach us things as well. So we went on this tabernacle tour. I didn't have time this morning to lay it out again, but I'll hopefully describe it roughly to you. If you came to the tabernacle, you would come to a gate that led into a courtyard. And in that courtyard, there would be this massive altar where animal sacrifices were given every day. Now, to the Israelites, that meant to tell them that sin is serious and must be continually dealt with. As Christians, we have Jesus, we have the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. If you went then from the courtyard, you'd go into the tent, into the holy place, and on your travel into the holy place as a priest, you'd see a table, a table with bread on it. That was to remind people that they depended on God for food. It reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life. Then if you went further in, you'd see a lamp like a tree, and to the Israelites, that would say, God gives us light, 
and it's like the tree of life in the garden God gives us life Jesus said I am the light of the world then you come to a curtain with cherubim on that only the high priest could go through the cherubim again would remind people of the garden of Eden and how it was protected from people getting back into it and again as Christians we know that temple curtain was torn in two when Christ died on the cross and then you go into the most holy place which only the high priest can go into where you have the ark of the covenant and on that will be a lid sometimes called the mercy seat or the atonement cover on which the high priest sprinkled blood every year once a year and again this showed how how exclusive and how careful they had to be they couldn't just go in on god's place only the high priest could go in and this meant that they couldn't have free access to god now we know that jesus blood was shed on the cross and jesus is our high priest finally on top of the ark of the covenant were two cherubim again this is uh, reminding us of the garden of eden but also as bart pointed out um, sometimes people see the two angels in the empty tomb as like two cherubim on the day of the resurrection when jesus rose again so what could the jews conclude about the tabernacle what lessons did it teach them it taught them that god had pitched his tent with them and his people had God dwelling with them, but they couldn't easily approach him. Now, we as Christians, we know through John's gospel that Jesus came and God tabernacled with us. He's, he was with us. He's with us not in fabric terms, not in the fabric construction, but he came in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And now we can approach God through the high priest and we no longer have to have the physical building. So that was one of the major things to take away, how the tabernacle spoke in the past and how it speaks to us today. Although we don't need it, it reminds us so much of God. And that took roughly four months to get through. So we're into the second part of the year, the next quadrimester. I like that term, quadrimester. Sounds good, doesn't it? And we broke with tradition because after Easter, we didn't look at a particular book. Instead, we looked at five parts of the New Testament, looking at one subject. What was that subject? So I'll give you a clue. I can't hear you. It's the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? We looked at the Holy Spirit. We did a, a five-talk review of the Holy Spirit during the second quadrimester of the year. Now, we're not going to go through all of these, but um, I want to focus on the, um, the fruits and the gifts. Now, during Twixmas, you've had four opportunities to practice the missing vowels round. If you watch Only Connect. So, let's see if you're, you're ready. You've been practicing. Tell me what you see. Forbearance? Yeah. Healing? Joy. Okay, so I mixed you there. I mixed them up. The gifts and the fruit. Miraculous powers. Peace. Very good. You can form a team and put your application in. 
not tongs, tongues, wisdom. Okay, so what do we take away from this series? Well, I was really struck, partly because I had to do the talk on fruits. I was struck by the challenge of these, these passages. We're expected as Christians to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. There are nine listed. We've gone through them in that list amongst the gifts. And we're told that our faith should be fruitful, not fruitless. But we have to remember we're not saved by fruit. We're saved by faith. And the fruit flows from that salvation as we obey God. And I was challenged particularly by the fruit of joy that was on the list. And I had to say to myself, do I bring joy to other Christians when we meet? Or do I not build them up? Or maybe do I drag them down? And also, do I take joy in what other people are seeing in their lives? When the Lord blesses them, do I rejoice in that blessing with them? And so we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and gifts. And we'll talk more of gifts later in the, um, in the session. Before I go on any further... Just want to point out, if any children arrive and are flagging during the session, there are some activity sheets coming in and word searches, but they're only for the children. Okay? But hopefully you're all with me still as we move on in this, this section. Here's another book we looked at. It's James, because J. Ames. <laughs> Okay. Okay, now it's very important again that we're clear on this. In a way, it links with the fruit of the Spirit. It's all about showing you have a strong faith. This is not the faith that saves you. You're not saved by the strength of your faith. You're saved by whom you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, that faith should show itself in our actions. And James is very keen that we show by works that we are God's people, that we love him and we want to obey him. We want to show we are fruitful by our actions. Faith without actions is problematic. So faith in action will, will, through the book of James, let's uh, put the slide up from the series, faith in action will show itself as we endure hardships and trials, as we avoid paying favourites with people, as we try and control what we say and how we say it, and how we act, hopefully act with godly wisdom. So that was, um, that was faith. Now again, I was challenged by the, um, the series and one particular challenge I want to apply because it applies to me in evangelical circles we are very strong on theology and finding and, and, and discerning the truth of God's word and sometimes we're more concerned about getting our theology correct than doing anything else and correct theology is vitally important but it shouldn't stop there it should lead to correct action as Christians. And James very pointedly, forcefully reminds us about this in chapter 2. He says, um, even demons believe there is one God, but they shudder. We too believe there is one God, but we should submit and obey his will. Our reading is from the book of Luke on page 1028, Luke 2, verses 22 to 35. 
When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is set in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised the God, saying, Sovereign God, Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the God. Thank you, Kelly. Hopefully I'm on. Yes, I'm on. Excellent. All right, we're almost there. That's the good news. The bad news is this is probably the longest section. So make yourselves comfortable. And uh, we're doing something that wasn't part of the review at the end. So we're into the final quadrimester. I'm going to like Twixmas. I'm going to keep saying this word until everybody uses it. Um, so... As I say, we've had scripture read, and I think it's appropriate that we pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. May your word be our rule, your spirit our guide, your glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. Very busy, very busy time. There's, there were so many mini-series. Um, I don't know if you like mini-series. There are lots of them on uh, various platforms, TV and streaming services, but this felt like a whole festival of mini-series in the autumn. And let's see if we can recognise or remember what they were. Now, a word of caution on this one. We only did three chapters of this book, 17, 18 and 19. But this is which book in the Bible? don't know if the laser still works on this. One Kings is correct. Well done. There's a king with a crown and a one. Who is that king? Ahab. Not Ahab. Go back in time. It's not David. Look behind. It's Solomon. It's Solomon because you can see his many wives. You can see his divided heart. See his heart is divided. Okay. And his money bag is split. This is when... Israel split into Judah and Israel after Solomon. Um, the king 
finally went from tabernacle. Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, but he took pagan wives and they took him away from worship in the temple. And after Solomon, there were loads of really bad kings of Israel. Things went from bad to worse. And we, in our short study in 1 Kings, we stopped at King Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel built a temple, not a temple to God, but a temple to Baal. And the Lord raises up Elijah. And the prophet Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest, a fire contest on Mount Carmel. And he issues a challenge. The challenge is, who is God? Is it the Lord? He says, he says to them, in effect, how long will you keep limping along? You're trying to have God, but you're also trying to have Baal. You're trying to hedge your bets, trying to have two or three or more gods to try and protect you. You can't limp along like that. You're not walking or dancing properly. You're limping along. You have to decide who is the true God. Is it Baal or is it the Lord God? Make up your mind. That was... Uh, the message we know hopefully we know how the story ends i don't want to do a spoiler alert or do i well elijah wins the lord is shown to be god and then other things happen but that's as far as we're going to go this morning now this is a warning to us the application is one of hazard warning as christians we don't worship things made of wood or stone or metal but we can find things that um, begin to take over in our lives. Instead of the Lord God, they become our source of security because we trust in purely in money, our source of fulfillment. We look to our home and family as our source of fulfillment and not God. And our identity, we look at our accomplishments. All these things can do what the Israelites did, push God out of the way and go for other things. So although... Although it's only an Old Testament story, it still speaks very clearly to today and to our lives that we should worship God only and he is our source of security, fulfillment and identity. Time for some more Only Connect. Now, this is a tough one, especially if you are not a member of the church family here, but let's see if they can do it. It's the sequences round. Remember the sequences round? What's at the end of the sequence? No? Do you want another one? Nine. Say nine. No, I have to offer it to the other side. <laughs> Let's do another one. No? We looked at this after Kings. Psalms. It's, we did four Psalms in that sequence. There is no, there's no mathematical pattern I'm aware of. If you see one, do let me know, because I will, will love to know. But these were four Psalms that we looked at. And do you want to see the cartoon? Yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Palms, sorry, Psalms. Singing and praying. Did you know the Psalms were the temple hymn book? Okay, and they are incredibly diverse. They cover the whole diversity of human emotion and experience. And we looked at just four in the series Pray in All Circumstances. Pray when you're stressed and under pressure. Pray when you need direction and guidance. 
Pray when you're feeling downcast. Pray when things are going well or badly. Don't only sing like football crowds when you're winning. Sing to God even when things are going badly. Now, just one application. This was one given by Kip when he came, Kip Chelshaw. And he pointed out that Jesus uses the Psalms to pray. He uses the words of the Psalms to pray in various situations and shows how powerful the words are. I'm really bad at memorising scripture. And this is a challenge to me because the Psalms can help us to pray in all circumstances. So may I commend them to you. So we did Psalms. And then we moved on again. A very short, one of the shortest books in the Bible that even people who know the Bible as well often miss it when they're flicking through. And the book was... What's going on there? Haggai. Hugging an eye. I hear a groan. But what's in the background? Whose temple? We've had Moses and the tabernacle. We've had Solomon and the temple. This is the temple after the exile. Who is it remembered by? Which governor? Lovely name. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. We had a lot of discussion on pronunciations in this section, didn't we? Zerubbabel's temple is in the background. Okay, so we looked at Haggai. Just a short two-book, sorry, two-chapter book. And... After Solomon had built his temple, the Babylonians invaded later and destroyed the temple. The Jews were taken into exile. Then the Persians took over and said, you can go home and rebuild your temple. Here's some building money, some funds for you to do so. And they went, some of them went back and started building. And then they stopped before it was completed. They stopped for 16 years. Here's the... Um, this is quite a busy slide, isn't it? It's um, from the Bible Project, brilliant book, which summarises all the books of the Bible on one sheet. I'm not sure how much I can see or you can see, but it's an excellent resource. But that was the um, poster for the series. Don't try and look at it, otherwise we'll all be in spec savers on Tuesday morning. Um, but basically, the people of God had gone back to build the temple, and this time the problem wasn't disbelief or idolatry. It was rather something called nimbyism. People in the nations around Jerusalem didn't want this temple built, not in my backyard, because it would cause problems in their view. And the people were discouraged, but also they were distracted. They decided to work on other building projects, not the Lord's house, but their own homes. Home improvement is a major thing on television. It was a major thing back in the day. They improved their own homes, but God's, God's temple got neglected. And the message of the temple was forgotten. But then the Lord raises a prophet, Haggai, and he sends them to the people, and the people respond to God's message, and they're transformed by the word, and the temple restarts. So, take away from this. To me, this speaks to the dangers of complacency as Christians. Um, The people in Jerusalem wanted to keep a low profile, not antagonise their neighbours. The same thing can happen to us as Christians. Maybe we avoid conflict or, not necessarily conflict, but sort of things that could be uncomfortable, things that maybe we should be doing that we don't. We want to have a quiet life. 
Um, we also can allow ourselves to be distracted by what, on the face of it, are reasonably good things, looking after your home, looking after your property, but they can then push God to the margin, to the side, and we do other things. So that was a message or messages of the book of Haggai. And we're almost at the end of the year. Final month, and we spend time looking at... Why is it Matthew? It's got a mat with a U. Matthew. This is um, a very important gospel, and the message of Matthew's gospel is, what about Jesus? What's it saying about Jesus? He's king. It's King Jesus. Matthew is writing his gospel mainly to the Jewish nation, trying to um, show or prove Jesus' kingship. And at the start of the book, which we looked at, he seeks to set out and establish the identity and authenticity of Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. And as a challenge, we start Matthew with genealogy. I love genealogies, by the way. I think they're a great thing to preach on. Um, But they are challenging for people listening. But uh, Matthew's genealogy, genealogy links him to Abraham, to David, and to Zerubbabel. And now we come to today's passage. If you can open your Bibles back to chapter 2 of Luke. And we're going to look at this to try and wrap everything up. When I was looking at the immense amount of material we covered this year, I was trying to work out, is there a passage I can use to wrap it all up? And I decided to use Luke 2. Okay. So, Matthew is trying to say to the people reading the gospel he's written, who do you think he is? Who do you think Jesus is? And we, somebody knows, and they know in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 records events soon after Jesus' birth. The action takes place in the temple courts in Jerusalem. This is Herod's temple now. Herod has built another temple, and it's still under construction when the events in Luke 2 happen. Simeon is there. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is pointed out in Haggai. I haven't gone through that with you because we have limited time, but this is looked at in Haggai chapter 2, if you want to look at that. Now, Simeon knows who the child is. And to me, this is um, the Holy Spirit giving him words of wisdom. He says the child is the Messiah, and he praises him. That beautiful little section on 29 to 32, often known in Latin as the Nunc Dimittis. Beautiful piece of praise and poetry often set to music. So he has a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit. This is the Messiah. This is who the baby is. But he doesn't stop there. He has a second word of knowledge that he speaks to Mary in verses 34 and 35. Let me read that again to you. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is a great book by the late Tim Keller called The Hidden Christmas, and he writes about this passage. By the way, just in case, 
I read this, I finished it on the 28th of December 2018. It's keeping a record. And he said this about the passage. He says about the second word of wisdom that Simeon uttered to Mary. He said, it's understandable that this second statement by Simeon is less well known. Um, It hasn't been put to music. It's not read at Christmas services, but I think it should be. Both the secular and church celebrations of Christmas focus almost entirely on sweetness and light, peace on earth. So, what this passage is talking about is how Jesus brings division, how he causes people to react to him, and what this reaction will be. It will be diverse and varied. And one of the things that causes this division that uh, Simeon spoke about is the claims that Jesus made. And interestingly, some of them concerned the temple. In uh, Matthew 12, he says... I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. In Luke 21, he says, As for what you see here, i.e. the Herod's temple, the time will come when not one of these stones will be left one upon the other. Every one of them will be thrown down. And then in John chapter 2, when he clears the temple courts of the vendors, the sellers, the merchants, the people ask, on what authority did you clear the temple courts? Prove that you have authority. And he said, um, <clears throat> destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now they thought he meant the physical temple, but he was talking about his body. And even the disciples didn't realize what he meant until much later. But this claim of destroying the temple was taken by his enemies and distorted. It was used as false testimony um, in the Sanhedrin when he was being sort of tried by the Jewish authorities and it was thrown at him on the cross as he was hung up there. People said, you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Come down off the cross and save yourself. So Jesus and the temple is one of those reasons for conflict and rising and falling. So... Let's do one more round of um, Only Connect. Are you ready? We've done um, missing vowels. We've done sequences. We're going to do the connections round. Sorry, you should do the application. This is always a useful thing to have to remind me. The application of this is, as Christians, we should expect reaction if we show that we belong to Christ. Just as Christ caused reaction, we in our lives should cause reaction. And so to the final... What connects these four passages? What did we uh, look at in particular in Exodus? The tabernacle. What was Solomon building in 1 Kings? Temple. What was happening in Haggai? Zerubbabel's temple. And the events of Luke 2, Herod's temple. So the answer is temple. I didn't know this was here until I started preparing, but there is, this is an interesting way in which many of the passages link together. And the teaching, although we don't have a temple, a physical temple now, they actually do teach us so much as Christians. So everything changed when the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. 
Now, there's much to look forward to. This is just things that we've done during the year. I hope uh, you feel revised and reviewed. If you um, are visitors, I hope this has also spoken to you if you've looked at these books, uh, or if you haven't, but you're now, you've seen the trailer and you want to go and look at the whole thing. But I do pray that uh, the new year will be one where you study God's word and you learn to do his will and work through it. So next year, we continue in Matthew. And then we look at Romans. Lots to do in 20. 24. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the last year, the teaching that we've received. We do pray that we would keep the lessons in our hearts and seek to live them out in our lives, that we would be seen to be your people and that we would produce fruitful lives, lives where we show our faith in you, in our actions, as well as our words. In Jesus' name. Amen.